Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burroughs Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Like what you're hearing? Make sure to leave us a review and a rating whenever you're listening. Hello, you lucky things. It is time for your special extra dose of the Eurotrip podcast this week. I hope you're doing well. It is Rob with you. Hope you're doing okay. Uh, Me and James were, of course, with you earlier this week on Wednesday, where we brought you the very first episode of our Rewind series for 2024. I mean, technically, yes, we are still in 2023, but it's the start of the 2024 season here on the podcast. We're very excited about it. Of course, we crossed to Malmo in the episode on Wednesday, so it feels like we are gearing up now to next year's Eurovision Song Contest. The season is here. We've started on the podcast, and it'll be great to have you along for the ride. So if you haven't listened to Wednesday's episode yet, go back and have a listen. If you have, we hope you enjoyed it, and we hope you will join us again next Wednesday, when, of course, we will have another brand new episode of Rewind. But on the podcast on Wednesday, we mentioned that every Friday here on our podcast feeds, we are going to give you another opportunity to listen to our first series of Rewind. We, of course, have handpicked some of our favourite years of the Eurovision Song Contest to look back and find some of the best stories that happened, to go behind the scenes. So we did that this week with the first episode of Series 2, looking at 2002. As I've already said, we'll be back next week with another brand new episode of Rewind, another brand new edition. But we did the same thing last year as well. We've already popped Eurovision 1993, or Rewind 1993, in your podcast feeds. We did that last week, so have a listen back to that if you haven't already. 
And today, it is time for another edition of Rewind from Series 1. And this time, we're going way back. It is another Irish victory, though. We're heading back to Eurovision 1980. So without further ado, then, here's this week's Rewind Revisited. You're listening to The Euro Trip with Rob Lilly and James Rowe. Like what you're hearing? Make sure to leave us a review and a rating whenever you're listening. Time to rewind. As we like to do on Rewind, let's start, shall we, with a look back at what was happening in the world ahead of the contest in 1980. Uh, So in the UK, Margaret Thatcher was entering her second year as Prime Minister, and the Detroit Spinners were at number one in the official charts. Yeah, what a song. Walking my way back to you, babe. That's the one. (laughs) Sounds just like that as well. Uh, a, yeah, so I wasn't expecting that at all, Rob. Uh, a, a, in just a couple of months' time as well, the eyes of the world would be on Moscow as the city hosted the Olympic Games. Uh, here's a clip from a BBC News report just a few weeks before the event. Some two billion viewers around the world will watch the display to outdo anything yet seen in the capitalist West. Now in the world of Eurovision, and that's why you're here, The Hague hosted the contest on the 19th of April 1980, doing so for the second time in just four years. Now here's the BBC's Terry Wogan during the live broadcast of the grand final, explaining to viewers on BBC One exactly why that was the case. Usually this contest is organised by the country which won the previous contest. But because Israel was the winner in two consecutive years, the Netherlands was granted the honour of organising this, the 25th Eurovision Song Contest. It's a doubtful honour, really, because it costs a fortune, this jamboree. And there's many a TV executive out there tonight hoping his country doesn't win. Terry Wogan there. Now, for today's Rewind, I've been speaking to the Eurovision historian and author Gordon Roxburgh. Now, he's written many, many books about the contest. He's appeared on many documentaries about Eurovision as well. So he's a man who knows a lot about the 1980 contest. And I started by asking him more about how Eurovision that year eventually ended up in the Netherlands. Well, obviously, Israel won in 1979, so they had the first option the station in 1980 contest, and they did for a while consider staging it in Cesara in, uh, on the Mediterranean coast and an open air amphitheater. And they were going to put the date back till about May. And that met with no objections. I mean, they seemed quite happy with that. But uh, of course, inflation was running rampant at the time. I think Israel had seen something like 20% inflation rate. And by the middle of May, uh, 1979, they decided it wasn't possible they were going to back out of it. So then the EBU started touting around for any other potential hosts. So the usual thing was to start with who were the runners-up, Spain, keep working your way down and down, past United Kingdom, BBC decided to turn it down, eventually got to the Netherlands, and now they're starting to get a little bit desperate for potential hosts. And the Netherlands did agree that they would they would take it on on the condition that it could be a scaled back production. Um, so that's what happened. And then they came up with a proposed date of the well, the 26th of April was muted as a possible date, but that wasn't possible for the Dutch. So then they put it to the 19th of April, and that clashed with Israel's National Memorial Day. 
And even though they said, could we put it on the Sunday, the 20th, uh, that was objected to, actually, by the BBC of all, of all broadcasters. They wanted to know their time, but the Eurovision, and match the day, the Saturday night line-up. So they objected. So it stayed at the 19th, and unfortunately, uh, Israel couldn't participate. Oh, the jeopardy of not knowing where it was going to be, when it was going to be. Imagine that now. Eurovision fans would be in a frenzy. Wouldn't they? Can you imagine Twitter in 1980? <laughs> <laughs> but no, absolutely. There's a couple of things to talk about there. Uh, the fact that if Israel had hosted it, as they initially wanted to, of course, it was going to be in an open-air amphitheatre on the Mediterranean coast. Fascinating. Yeah, honestly. And and then they were going to change the date to a Sunday. It was going to be on a Sunday. Honestly, yeah. honestly it would have been Eurovision like we'd never seen it before. But... As eventually became the case, it wasn't. It was on a Saturday, and unfortunately, for the first time ever, the previous winners didn't take part. Now, Israel's decision not to take part did allow one country to make its one and only Eurovision appearance, as we will come on to later. Now, Monaco also chose to withdraw that year and then wouldn't reappear at the contest uh, until 2004. Here's how the show started in 1980 on BBC One that evening. Good evening and welcome as the tide comes in on the Eurovision Song Contest 1980 and me with Opie Wellington Boots. And this year's contest is being staged by Holland from here in the Hongreskibal at The Hague. And you'll never know how long it took me to learn that. Ah, here's last year's winner. And as is traditional, before the white heat of competition starts, we're going to hear a piece from the orchestra accompanied by a film of some of Holland's more sensational sights. And this the 25th, the silver anniversary of the Eurovision Song Contest. Now, the 1980 contest made history for a number of reasons. Uh, firstly, we saw a black conductor at the contest for the first and only time as London-born Del Newman did the honours for Italy that year. And there were plenty of other names that would find their place in Eurovision history. Yeah, so Switzerland were represented in 1980 by Paola Del Medico, who had also represented her country previously in 1969. Uh, Katia Epstein appeared for Germany for the third time. Now, before appearing at the 1980 contest, Cassia had finished third twice for Germany, so coming very close to winning. We'll chat about how she did in 1980 shortly. Uh, Maggie McNeil, she represented the Netherlands once again. The Netherlands, of course, the host nation, having done so previously as part of a duo when the contest was held six years earlier in Brighton. I think we all know who won that year in Brighton. I think we do. Uh, now, onto the songs, uh, which is probably why a lot of you are here. We'll start, shall we, with the country making its one and only appearance at the Eurovision Song Contest, Morocco. Now, at the time of the contest, Morocco had fairly frosty relations, I think that's putting it mildly, with Israel. So with Israel not competing, they felt able to do so themselves. They entered Samira Ben Said with her song, which translates into English as Love Card. Let's take a listen. Love, 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 
quite a nice little ditty, that one, isn't it? It is. It's nice, isn't it? It sounds very different to arguably everything else that you would go on to hear in that contest in 1980. Now, we'll take a look at the results later, but Morocco only scored seven points. Uh, they came second to last and then never appeared at Eurovision ever again, at least to date, anyway. Uh, they are the only African country ever to appear at the contest, although they almost weren't. Uh, Tunisia were in the grand final draw in 1977 uh, before withdrawing. Tunisia had a they had a like a running order position like they had a running order slot I was looking at this earlier uh, they were drawn to to sing song number four in the 1977 grand final maybe they thought oh not that fussed by that song four position don't really fancy it and then they never <laughs> came back again uh, also you mentioned Morocco only scored seven points uh, those seven points James came from one country wow so not an overly popular song that year no, unfortunately for them. And uh, yeah, as you said, we have not seen them at Eurovision since. On to the next song, and this time a country that we have seen at Eurovision several times since. It is the United Kingdom. Now, that year, the national jurors chose the group Prima Donna to represent the UK, although they nearly didn't, as Gordon Roxburgh explains. Indeed, you very nearly had uh, Maggie Moon with her Happy Everything, because the song for Europe ended in the dead heat. Uh, both Prima Donna and Maggie Moon had 131 points each. And even the, the third place song was only a further two points behind. That was Kim Clark. So it was one of the, the most thrilling songs for Europe contest has ever been. And uh, Terry Wogan, I don't think, had even prepared for it. And very quickly, come up, just grind all the regions, pick, pick your favourite, uh, a show of hands. And that's what happened with all 14 juries. And it's interesting, one or two juries actually changed the the, the preference over, whereas they've given a higher mark, say, for Maggie Moon in the main part of the voting, suddenly we changed to Prima Donna and vice versa. But most of the Jews stuck with their original preferred choice. And uh, even then, it was still close. It was only 8-6 in favour of Prima Donna. There could have been another tie. That would have been fine if we had seven jurors that said favoured one and seven for the other. Blimey, the, the professionalism of television back in 1980 on show just there. <laughs> I just enjoy that. Even, you know, many decades later, Terry Rogan was still just making it up as he went along, wasn't he? <laughs> but I just love that the hopes and dreams of uh, an artist representing the UK at Eurovision rested on people sticking their hands up. Can you imagine? Like, how unglamorous. <laughs> uh, now, we're still speaking about the UK, of course. Uh, now, each country in the contest in 1980 was actually introduced on stage by a presenter from their nation. It wasn't done by the main host of the of the contest that year. And doing the honours for the UK was the one and only Noel Edmonds. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. So we come to song number 13 for the United Kingdom. And 13, if you're sort of a bit superstitious about things, could uh, be unlucky. Except The Hague is good news for the United Kingdom. It was four years ago that Brotherhood of Man came here and won the competition. This year, we're represented by Prima Donna. And the whole story is one of success because we have our own national song contest and we had over 700 entries for that. In fact, things were so close that there was a tie. And from that, we got love enough for two. It's a song by two people who are no strangers to the competition, Stuart Slater and Stephanie de Sykes. And they, in fact, wrote the UK entry a couple of years ago. The group, specially formed for the competition, comprised three ladies and three gentlemen. Two of them come from Liverpool, 
and the rest come from London. Our musical director for Love Enough for Two is Mr John Coleman. Now, Noel there mentioned one of the songwriters for the UK entry that year, Stephanie de Sykes. Now, Stephanie also penned the UK's song in 1978, that year sung by Coco. Now, we've been speaking to her and we asked for her main memory of the contest in 1980. You'll hear that after a little bit of the UK's entry from 1980. This is Prima Donna with Love Enough for Two. My first vivid memory, really, once we'd, we'd auditioned and, and chosen the kids, was um, traipsing them around the King's Road, looking for different coloured outfits for them to wear that would sort of mix and, and match and blend. Because I had this vision of of a, a group of people who looked like the kids next door. That's how I wanted it to be. And... Uh, it was really difficult. Had we had a budget, it would have been a very different story. But there wasn't one. If we'd had a budget, it would be a very different story. I feel like I've heard that plenty of times when it comes to the Eurovision Song Contest. The age-old comment about Eurovision, if the budget had been different. Yeah, quite. Um, if you haven't seen uh, Prima Donna's outfit for the contest, I urge you to go on YouTube because it's, uh, yeah... It's, it's interesting. It, it looks a little bit like they've looked through the sort of um, lost property box and all happened to have ended up wearing something similar. Like I can see what <laughs> Stephanie was going for. It was very 80s, just put it that way. Yeah, let's hear a little bit more from Stephanie uh, and her memories of the event. Oh, it was joyous. It, it was completely joyous. Um, it, it was wonderful because um, Wogan was wonderful anyway, but Johnny Logan had a great song and um, he, he, all his crew I remember who were great fun and, and loved to drink um, they were all wearing t-shirts on the back of which was emblazoned in other words um, oh you might have to bleep this out I'm going to win this fucking contest <laughs> which we thought it was quite daring actually back then <laughs> daring that's certainly one word for it isn't it <laughs> very 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 confident now <laughs> On to arguably the evening's most memorable song and artist. As Stephanie mentioned there, the man that would, spoilers, go on to win the Eurovision Song Contest in 1980. It's Johnny Logan and Ireland with his song, What's Another Year, written by the legendary Shay Healy. Now, according to Gordon Roxburgh, it does sound here like Ireland were doing everything possible to win. I think it was Sally Antrip that told me that sort of like the night before the British and Irish delegation had got together, you know, before you were having some drinks, as you do. And so the Irish kept getting the drinks in, but they sort of got Johnny Logan out the scene and back to his hotel room to prepare. And I think they were trying to get the, the British singers drunk and maybe a little bit hoarse in the voice. And I think Sally and so the next day, one of the, I think it was one of the Robinsons, probably Kate, since she's a bit of a comedian, you know, sort of come into the hotel bedroom going, I, I, can, I, I can hardly speak. <laughs> and she was worried that, you know, there's going to be singers without a voice for, for Prima Donna, but it's just a practical joke they played. But they said they did notice the Irish sort of got Johnny Logan away from the drinks, you know, 
sort of like save them for the big night. It's like underhand tactics at the Eurovision Song Contest, eh? I mean, it worked, didn't it? Spoilers. I said it already, <laughs> but it clearly worked. But I loved that story from Gordon. And I think it was very unsurprising that that's how, you know, countries and artists used to warm up for Eurovision. He's going to the bar and have a few drinks the night before. Does that, does that happen now? I don't, I don't know. Honestly, if it does, we need to, we need to hear about it. Uh, but before we hear the climax of the show and the, the voting, we've still got time for another one of the evening's most memorable entries. This time, it's from Belgium. Eurovision. Eurovision. You all know it, don't you? This song was the first entry ever. This is Telex, by the way. The first entry ever to mention the contest by name. It's gone on to be remembered many decades later. And on the night, though, it only finished 17th out of 19. Uh, finished just ahead of Morocco. Honestly, that's that's probably where they came up with the phrase, it was robbed, because uh, I think most would agree that was a very unfair, very unjust result. Now, on to the voting. Let's find out how it all went. Uh, in the end, it came down to Germany and Ireland. Katja Epstein for Germany came so close to winning the contest at her third attempt, but ultimately, as we know, it wasn't to be. Italy, 10 points. Seemed like quite understated from Wogan there. As an Irishman himself, don't you think? He seemed fairly sort of underwhelmed that Ireland had won the, the contest for the second time. Yeah, he seemed very chill, very laid back, almost as if he sort of wrote the script and it wasn't a surprise to him. Yeah, it did seem that way, didn't it? But I guess, you know, at that time in Eurovision, you know, he mentioned, oh, prima donna, they've come third for the United Kingdom. That's just what happened every year, wasn't it? Kind of. <laughs> I mean, we go on to win it the following year, but it's just sort of, that's how it was. Yeah, exactly. So uh, to, to go through the, the scoreboard again, Ireland won the contest on 143 points, 15 ahead of Germany with the UK in third place. Uh, as Rob says, the following year, the UK would win the contest with Buck's phase and then Johnny Logan would eventually return in 1987 to win it all again. And then he'd return again as a songwriter with Linda Martin and he'd win it all again. <laughs> he's kind of overdue a victory isn't he <laughs> honestly yeah he really is yeah he really really is maybe that's what rte need to do for 2023 get johnny logan back on the stage in liverpool oh <laughs> uh, well to wrap up this week's rewind let's hear from connor devlin now connor is one half of the aerovision podcast podcast who focuses on all things ireland and eurovision and here's his thoughts on johnny's first and ireland's second victory in the contest I think that win for him, What's Another Year, it's a lovely song, but, you know, I think Shay Healy, who, of course, wrote the song, he's the more kind of respected one out of himself and Johnny because it was his song, whereas I think Johnny Logan is more remembered for Hold Me Now because it's his own song. He embraced it. It was a second win. He seemed a lot more confident on the stage as a performer with that. So when you think of Johnny Logan, I think a lot of people go to his 1987 win with Hold Me Now 
um, as opposed to what's another year. But it was our second win. I think people were loving the fact that it was coming back to Dublin, the the or the, coming back to Ireland. But you know the thoughts of Ireland hosting again. Here we go again. And yeah, I I think people were were excited for the thought of Eurovision coming back to the Irish Irish shores. So to finish off rewind this week, let's hear that year's winner, Johnny Logan, with what's another year. I've been crying such a long time with such a lot of brings to an end this week's Rewind. You're listening to The Euro Trip, your favourite Eurovision podcast. When you aren't listening, find us on social media at Eurotrip Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Warming you up for the Eurovision Song Contest. So there you go then. That was Johnny Logan singing us out here on Rewind 1980. Another chance for you to hear that from our first series of Rewind here on the Eurotrip podcast. Thank you very much for tuning in this week. A reminder of something, by the way, that we mentioned to you on Wednesday's episode. We have launched Buy Me A Coffee here on the Eurotrip podcast. If you don't know what Buy Me A Coffee is, basically it is your chance. If you want to, of course, you don't have to, there is no pressure here to just donate a little bit of money to this cause that we call the Eurotrip podcast that hopefully we and you love so dearly because me and James put a lot of our own money into this. We have done it over the last, well, three, almost four years now here on the podcast. We started back in 2020. This is our fourth season now of the Eurotrip and yeah, we put a lot of our own money into it. So if you would like to donate anything to help us keep this podcast going, to help make it as good as it possibly can be, and to help us have more adventures that we can bring to you on the podcast over the course of the 2024 season, then you can donate as little as £3 if you wish. You can donate as little as a pound, I think, actually. You can set that yourself. Uh, you can do that over on buymeacoffee.com forward slash Eurotrip podcast. That's buymeacoffee.com forward slash Eurotrip podcast. As I mentioned at the start of this Rewind Revisited, we will be back with a brand new episode of the podcast on Wednesday. That'll be in your podcast feeds wherever you listen to this. So we will see you then. And in the meantime, don't forget we're on socials. We are at Eurotrip Podcast on Twitter, on Instagram, on TikTok. You can see a video of me and James talking about the bird song contest over on our socials at the minute. So uh, go check that out. And also, of course, we're on the email hello at EurotripPodcast.com if you want to send any messages. But until then, until next Wednesday, it's time for me to say goodbye. See you soon. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.
Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.